You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. It was the year 17 or 117 and he died. The world doesn't know when or where he was born or even how old he was when he died. In fact, we've all experienced, though, the effects of this man. Lived his life in obscurity to many of the world, but we know him as Melito of Sardis. In fact, as the scriptures you hold in your hand were being written and formed into the canon of scripture, Melito was there. He held a prominent place among the second century bishops. And due to his influence on Christianity and his literary works, but sadly, many of them have been lost. But what has been recovered has provided some incredible insight into Christianity during the second century. In fact, two of the most impressive things about Melito of Sardis was the way that he stood up against the emperor of Rome as a believer. In fact, his work of the Old Testament that he compiled the earliest known Christian canon of the Old Testament. In fact, that term Old Testament is even credited to this man. When people wrote about his life, this is what they said, that he was a mirror of the Apostle John. But probably his best work was something he wrote. It's just a few words where he captured the crucifixion of Jesus. He once wrote, And so he was raised on a cross. A title was fixed, indicating who was being crucified. Painful it is to say, but more terrible not to say. He was suspended. The earth is suspended. He who fixed the heavens is fixed. He who fastened all things is fastened to the wood. The master is outraged. God is murdered. So tonight we've come to reflect upon the one who Melito of Sardis captured so well with his pen. And so I want to direct our thoughts this evening to the Gospel of John. You know, the account of Jesus' death is very, very familiar to us. But in this familiarity, there is something that is truly shocking. What is shocking is that all four Gospels, when you get to the death of Jesus Christ the moment that the Son of Man was offered up as a sacrifice, the moment that Christianity hinges on, when we get to the moment that Jesus has been agonizing over, when we get to the moment that caused darkness to cover the earth in the middle of the day, when we get to the moment that caused the earth to shake, and the moment that ripped the four-inch thick veil in the temple, the moment that caused dead men to come out of their graves. John 19, 23, John simply says, when the soldiers crucified him. I mean, John simply said, when the soldiers crucified Jesus. And I have to think, what in the world would make John, who uses over 1,500 words in his gospel, when he gets to the moment that Jesus, the very Son of God, lays down his life, 
He simply says, when they crucified him. I mean, why would John only use seven words to describe the moment that Jesus let evil do whatever it wanted to him? I think it's because John wants us not to focus on how Jesus was crucified, but why and who is responsible for that death. In John 19, verses 1 through 37, it begins this way. Then Pilate took Jesus and he flogged him. And this was a horrific act. Special soldiers were trained to inflict the most pain and to create the most damage upon another human being. Most floggings were performed with this special leather whip that had pieces of bone and metal tied to the end. In fact, it's hard to describe the amount of pain and damage this weapon can inflict. Many people passed out from the pain and even died from the massive blood loss. And if they did survive their bodies, they would bear massive scars that would take months and even years to heal. And it says, And the soldiers twisted a crown together of thorns and put it upon his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. So not only did they beat Jesus where he was unrecognizable as a man, they humiliated and ridiculed him as a fake king. Pilate went out again and he said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. You know, until this point, Pilate had been refusing and referring to Jesus as the king of the Jews. In fact, he was saying with full sarcasm because Pilate had no love for the Jews and the Jews had no love for him. So Pilate had him flogged and humiliated. I believe he was hoping this would satisfy the Jews in their desire to crucify him. But notice he does not refer to Jesus as their king, but he says, behold the man. So Pilate waits to hear the response, hoping this would be enough. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Because they were not satisfied with a beaten and humiliated Jesus. Nothing would satisfy them until he hung on a cross. So Pilate makes one final attempt to remove himself from crucifying an innocent man. And Pilate said to him, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I can find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered, We have a law, and according to that law, we ought, he ought to die because he had made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? So the question from Pilate is, will he be responsible for Jesus' death? And Jesus answers. And Jesus answered him, you have no authority over me at all unless it is given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you 
has the greater sin. Jesus says, any authority that you think you might have is not really yours. And once again, Pilate is trying not to be the one responsible for Jesus' death. So from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and he sat down on this judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement. Now it was the day of the preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So Pilate once again refers to insulting the Jews by addressing this man as their king. And notice their response. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Meaning nothing but the death of Jesus on a cross is going to satisfy them. But it's what the chief priest says next is that is so shocking. The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. And in that moment, the Jewish chief priest just pledged allegiance to a Gentile Roman emperor. So Pilate does the only thing he can do. He hands Jesus over. So human history, from its first moments, has been moving forward to this moment here. When it took place, the death of Jesus on the cross became the very dividing line. In fact, no event has or ever will have the impact in history like the crucifixion of Jesus. For those who claim the title of Christian, the cross is central to everything we believe, we do, and we are. In fact, the cross marks the moment that God offered His Son as the penalty for our sin and fallen mankind could be redeemed and sin and death defeated. And God offers peace to his enemies at the cost of his very own son's life. So what I want to do is to read the next 15 verses. In fact, we could never read these enough. It says, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull. In their make, it's called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. and It was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which was said. 
they divided his garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary of Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing all that was now finished, he said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they took a sponge full of the sour wine on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So the question is, then, who is then responsible for this horrific death? One, we might say the Romans. I mean, they're the one in charge when Jesus was crucified. Pilate, the Roman governor, ordered his death. The Roman soldiers were the very ones that pounded the nails into his hands and feet. But what about the Jewish leaders? They brought Jesus to Pilate. They demanded him to be crucified. When Pilate even wanted to release Jesus, the, re the religious leaders incited a mob to shout, crucify him. Meaning they are accepting responsibility for his death. In fact, in Matthew chapter 27, they shouted, let his blood be on us and our children. But then what about us sitting here today? It was just not the sin of the Romans or the Jews it, that caused Jesus' death. It was yours and mine. In fact, Isaiah 53 tells us, We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So I think all answers are in some part correct. However, John writes his account of the cross. He doesn't focus on human liability and responsibility. In fact, he shows us that every step on the way to the cross is planned and controlled by Jesus. In John 10, Jesus said this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. So from our human perspective, it seems that Jesus is brought to the cross by forces that are outside of his control. But actually, Jesus orchestrates every encounter and every event reveals that Jesus is in control. In fact, since Jesus is actually the one in charge of his very cross, it reveals so many things to us. We see the holiness of God in the cross as nowhere else. We see his love of holiness and his hatred of sin and refusal to compromise. We also see his love for justice and his condemnation of sin, even pouring out his wrath on his son who bore the sins. And finally, we see God's love for us in the extreme cost that he paid for our salvation. 
Because if Jesus had stopped short of the moment that we come to think about tonight, it would prove there was a limit to what God's love is. In fact, without the cross, we would never know of how deep and how wide his love is. So I want to close with just a couple of words from a man named Kent Hughes on thinking of God's love and the cross. He said, love is God's son hanging by his arms, his muscles paralyzed and unable to respond. Love is God's son fighting to raise himself in order to get just one short breath. Love is carbon dioxide building up in his lungs, cramps partially subsiding, allowing our Lord to push himself upward for life-giving oxygen. Love is willing to bear our sin and suffer separation from his beloved Father. This is the ultimate picture of God's love. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.